Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. That's page 1014, if you're using the black Bibles provided. Our text today will be verses 10 through 12, but I will begin reading in verse 3 to get the context. It's a, it's a doxology that, that uh, Peter, the Spirit inspired Peter to begin this letter with, so we'll read verses 3 through 12. And I'd ask the congregation once again to stand, please, in honor of God's word. What a blessing it is to have the word of God in a language that, that we, in our own language, and with, as we've been reminded, we praise God for the ministry of the Spirit, and so now may he use his word in our lives. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is, We Are Truly Blessed. We are truly blessed. It's easy for us as Christians to forget how much God has blessed us, especially when we're going through trials and suffering, when we're, when we're Suffering under those grievous trials, it's easy for us to lose sight of the many blessings that we have in Christ. And so we need to be reminded of God's blessings, and the original recipients of Peter's letter needed to be reminded of that too. Remember, Peter is writing to first century Christians who were suffering for their faith. And so Peter wants to encourage and equip these believers to stand firm during these difficult days. So he begins his letter with this doxology in verses 3 through 12. And this doxology not only praises God, but it also reminds his readers of the amazing salvation that God has given them in Christ. And today Peter closes out this doxology in verses 10 through 12 by highlighting two huge blessings that Christians enjoy. These blessings were true of the first century uh, Christians that he was writing to, and they're true of us believers in the 21st century as well. So, but before I give you the 
get to the first one of those blessings, I want to just start us off with a question today. All right, let's just use our imagination a little bit. Imagine you were able to transport yourself to live at any time within biblical history. What period would you go to? In other words, when is the best time in biblical history in which to live? Maybe you would want to go to the time of Moses, right? To witness the mighty plagues and God's powerful deliverance of his people from Egypt. Maybe you'd want to live in the time of Joshua to experience God's promise being realized as his people conquer the promised land. Maybe you're thinking about the later days of King David's reign or the early days of Solomon when the kingdom of Israel was at its peak and and the, the people of God were enjoying the blessings of God. Or perhaps you would choose to live during the ministry of Jesus, right? I mean, what would it be like to personally see Jesus, to, to hear his teachings, to witness his miracles? But as fascinating as it would be to live in any of those times, in verses 10 through 12, Peter tells the first century Christians that they are blessed to live when they do. And again, he's talking to people who are in the Roman Empire, who are, under, who are in, experiencing some persecution. But he's saying, you are blessed to live when you do because you live after Christ's coming, death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit. And the same is true for us today. We Christians in the 21st century, likewise, are blessed that we live on this side of the cross and the empty tomb and on this side of Pentecost. And so that's the first blessing that if you're taking notes, you can record in your outline. By God's grace, we live in a blessed time. We live in a blessed time. That's what the bulk of the text is talking about today. Peter's recipients may not have felt like they lived in a blessed time. Remember, they were subjects of the Roman Empire, and, and although at this point in history there were, was not uh, empire-wide persecution, there was localized persecution. And, and as Peter's already mentioned, some of his recipients are, were grieved under these various trials, and he's going to talk a lot about suffering unjustly in this letter. So they were experiencing that. And so, you know, when they, if Peter would say, hey, you guys are blessed to live when you do, they might say, what do you mean? What's, what's so blessed about living now when we're getting persecuted? What makes this period of time so blessed? Well, Peter points out two things about their time period, about our time period, that makes it a blessing in which to live. First, it is a time of fulfillment. We live in a time of fulfillment Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, right? He's been talking about our our salvation for many verses now. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So we know from, from the Bible that the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, fell into sin. And with Adam's fall, sin entered into the world and all have sinned. And now the whole world was under the curse of sin. But we also see that right away, God said in Genesis 3.15 that there would be 
a, a seed of the woman, a son of the woman who would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So right off the bat, God promises to send a Savior, to send a Messiah. And then that's the thread that goes throughout the, the rest of the Old Testament. In Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, God promised Abraham that through one of his offspring, all nations of the world would be, would be blessed. In other words, one of his offspring would be the Messiah, the promised Savior. God promised the same to David in 2 Samuel 7, that one of David's sons would be this promised king, this Messiah, and he would save his people, and he would reign forever in righteousness. Then came the time of the prophets. And that's what Peter is specifically referring to, right? And then the time of the prophets, keep in mind, right, we... We went through Zechariah in the spring, right? The time of the prophets was by and large when God's people were languishing under God's judgment. When, when they were languishing um, at the hands, under the hands of foreign nations. But God used his prophets and again and again God spoke through the prophets to call his people to repentance. To encourage those who had been faithful by pointing them forward to the promised future coming of the Messiah. And so the prophets proclaimed that the promised Messiah would come and rescue his people and reign over them in righteousness. And notice, Peter reminds us that when the prophets were saying these things, when they ministered, they were not proclaiming their own ideas, right? Look again at what Peter writes. Concerning, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time, notice, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So see, the prophets proclaimed the coming of Christ. They proclaimed the sufferings of Christ but his subsequent glories. And Peter says, when they were doing that, it was the spirit of Christ speaking through them. Spirit of Christ, it's another term for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon the prophets so that they proclaimed and wrote the very words that God wanted them to communicate to the people of God. As Peter will say in his second letter, 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit guided the prophets as they proclaimed about the future coming of the Messiah. And notice in verse 11, That his coming was going to involve suffering, but then that suffering would be followed up with glory. So there was was some mystery to all of this, right? God's promised this coming Savior, and and as we progress through biblical history, as we progress through Revelation, God giving his word to his people, it's like a few more pieces, a, a few more details are being given. And some of those details were this coming Messiah was going to suffer, But this coming Messiah was going to deliver his people. He was going to conquer his enemies. He he was going to be vindicated and and glorified. And so the Holy Spirit guided the prophets as they proclaimed the future coming of the Messiah. The prophets faithfully proclaimed this. But this is really interesting. Look at 10 and 11 explain to us that as the prophets are proclaiming the message that, that the Spirit of God is giving them to proclaim, right? They're, they're being faithful. They're, they're just proclaiming the Word of God. But as they're doing that, they're wanting to know more. <laughs> they're, they're, they're longing for more information. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That phrase, what person or time, notice the, there's a footnote the ESV says that it could be translated, what time or circumstances. And I actually kind of like that translation a little better. They're similar, but because when you look at the, the prophets and what they prophesied about the Messiah, they don't seem to be concerned about identifying the exact person of the Messiah. He's going to be a son of Abraham. He's going to be a son of David. That's, that's great. But what they really seem to be honing in on and focused on is the timing of his coming. Along with, what, what are these circumstances of his sufferings and his subsequent glories? What, is that, what does that look like? What does that mean? So picture what Peter's saying and put yourself back in, in the time of the prophets. You have the prophets obeying the call of God on their life and suffering for it, by the way. By proclaiming what God tells them to. But all the while they're saying, God, what, how does this all fit together? What, what, when... When is the Messiah coming and and what is exactly this going to look like? How is he going to deliver his people? As the prophets proclaimed the coming Messiah, they themselves were no doubt wondering things like, when would God send the Messiah? We've been, how long, O Lord? We've been languishing for so long. And how exactly is the Messiah going to rescue us? What, what, what are the, What do you mean by the the sufferings of the Messiah and his subsequent glories? How is a son of David going to reign forever in perfect righteousness? Even Israel's good kings had times of disobedience and they all certainly died. So it's like they're proclaiming God's truth, but they're wanting to know more. They're wanting to know. It's like they've been given a little piece of the puzzle, a little bit of information. and And then the next prophet's given a little bit more information. But it's like they're wanting to know the big picture. How does this all fit together? But it was not God's will for the, prophets, for the prophets to know the big picture. They were simply to faithfully proclaim the peace that they'd been, giving, been given, even though they didn't know how it all fit together. And by God's grace, that's what they did. So yes, they wanted to know the big picture, but look at what Peter says in verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, he says to his readers, in the things that have now been announced to you. God showed the prophets that they were serving future generations, namely the first century Christians and all Christians afterwards who had believed in Christ since Pentecost in Acts 2. The prophets and their contemporaries lived during a time when all the promises about the Messiah were future. Right? The prophets are are looking ahead. They're predicting in the future that God's going to send a Savior. God's going to send a Savior. God's going to send a Savior. But Peter's telling his readers, now you live in a time when the Savior has come. Now you live in a time when the promises of the Messiah, at least those initial promises, have been fulfilled. The fragmented details that the prophets proclaimed have now been pieced together with the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. By God's grace, believers in the first century, and and even more so today, us with the completed canon of Scripture, now understand how God did this. How God kept his promises to send a Messiah. We understand that God himself came to rescue his people. 
We understand that the the Son of God came to earth and took on a human nature. That he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That That he was, in fact, born in the line of David and of Abraham, fulfilling those promises. That the Messiah and the suffering servant of Isaiah are one and the same person. That the Messiah would save his people, not by you know, being this military general and, and driving out the Romans. No, he would save his people by suffering. He would save his people through suffering and dying in their place as a sacrifice for sin. But that he would, there would be subsequent glories, right? He wouldn't stay dead. On the third day, he would be raised in victory. He would be vindicated by God the Father. He would be glorified. And exalted to the Father's right hand. That the Messiah would rise again. Delivering his people from their greatest enemies. Of sin, death, and Satan. That the Messiah would ascend to heaven. And begin his reign at the Father's right hand. And that from his heavenly throne. The Messiah would send the promised Holy Spirit. And begin gathering in people from every nation of the earth. That the Messiah's kingdom would start off small. Start off undetected amid the kingdoms of this world, but that it will grow. And that at his return, at his second coming, his kingdom will fill the the whole earth. You see, a lot of those things were kind of talked about vaguely, perhaps, in the Old Testament. But now, by God's grace, they've been fulfilled. And we've been given the clearer revelation. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. Peter tells his first century readers, and again, same applies to us today, that you, he says, you are very blessed because you live during the time of fulfillment. The prophets prophesied about the coming of Messiah, whereas the readers and us live during a time when the Messiah has come. We are privileged to live during a time when the promised Messiah has been revealed. We know what Jesus has done. We know he's reigning in victory. We know the salvation that he has accomplished and that he gives to all who believe. Praise God. What a blessing it is to live and we do, loved ones. The prophets and other Old Testament saints longed for our day because we are seeing and experiencing many of God's promises being fulfilled. So as Christians, we live in a blessed time. We live in a blessed time period because we live in a time of fulfillment. Related to that, then, the text gives a second reason that we live in a blessed time. Not only because ours is a time of fulfillment, but ours is a time of many spirit-empowered witnesses. Which is a fulfillment, by the way. But that's, if you're taking notes, that's the second piece there. We live in a time of many spirit-empowered witnesses. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Remember what 
What did the, the risen and exalted Christ do after living among his people for 40 days in his glorified body? He ascended to heaven, to his heavenly throne, and he kept the promise to, and sent his spirit to his people in Acts 2. And so once again, we see the Holy Spirit playing a key role in all of this. And it's really cool, by the way, to see the continuity of God's plan and the continuity of God's involvement through His Spirit and through His Son, the Messiah, certainly. Think about it. The old, just like the Old Testament prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so too then the New Testament apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And those Apostles, those 12 apostles with the authority of the risen Christ, they preached the good news as the Holy Spirit led them. And so we see the continuity of God's one plan of salvation, right? You've got the Old Testament prophets pointing forward, proclaiming the future coming of the Messiah. Then the Messiah comes. Then you have the New Testament apostles who witnessed that, witnessed his death and resurrection and ascension. You have them now proclaiming what he has done. They, they're proclaiming the fulfillment. They're preaching. And, they're, and that by God's grace, by the Spirit, they're piecing together those Old Testament promises and saying they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus told the Pharisees, right? You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have life, but they testify about me, he said. So with both Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles, you've got this continuity of the story. You've got the same Holy Spirit carrying them both along so they're proclaiming the word of God. And again, realize the apostles had a key role. They had been commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus. So they're preaching, they're writing, just like Peter's doing in this letter. Those formed the New Testament scriptures. And by God's grace, the preaching of the apostles formed the foundation of the church with Christ being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2 says. So all of us who are saved and become, by God's grace, and become living stones, we're built upon the foundation of what the apostles are proclaiming, which they're proclaiming the fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets proclaimed. The person and work of Jesus the Christ. Of course, the New Testament apostles died off. Right? But the ministry of the Holy Spirit continues. The ministry of the Holy Spirit continues. We live in an age of fulfillment. We live in an age of the Spirit. Under the Old Covenant, the Spirit was not so prolific. The Spirit, under the Old Covenant, the Spirit would usually just come upon a priest or a king or a prophet, empowering them for a specific task and for a brief time. But Christ's death established the New Covenant And one of the central blessings of the new covenant is that every member of the new covenant now has the Holy Spirit. As we saw up in verse 2, if you remember, the Spirit is the one who sets us apart, giving us the new birth, uniting us to Christ through faith, placing us in God's family, and indwelling us with a down payment of our future salvation to come. So now every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And that means every believer is a Spirit-empowered witness. It's not just a few prophets anymore. It's not just a few apostles anymore. 
In Acts 1.8, we read that the Spirit of Christ would empower Christ's disciples to be witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, continuing up until now, until the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. And so the Christians in Asia Minor that Peter's writing to, they had heard the gospel through these faithful witnesses. We don't know, you know, we're not told they're all everyone's backstory. But I know they didn't all come to faith through an apostle. Many of them, no doubt, came to faith through other believers taking the gospel to them. They've heard the gospel through faithful, the faithful witness of Christians. And later in this letter, Peter is going to call on them to be faithful witnesses. As God opens the door, gives those opportunities. And as they do that, they can have confidence that the Spirit of Christ would be working in them and through them as well. So again, loved ones, what a blessed time we live in. We, for one, we live in a place where the Word of God is so available, don't we? Not every country can say that right now. Praise God for the ministries that are trying to translate God's Word. But we are blessed to have the Word of God in, a language, in our own language that we can understand. But we are blessed that for the ministry of the Spirit that illumines the Scriptures, gives us understanding, gives us life get, so that we believe the Scriptures. And the Bible says wherever the Word of God is proclaimed, and again, when I say proclaimed, I'm not just talking about a pulpit. I'm talking about whenever the Word of God is spoken, Shared, there's the Spirit of God. He's active. He's active. As Peter's going to explain at the end of this chapter, the Spirit takes the Word and gives new life. The Word of God goes forth now from many Spirit-empowered witnesses to save and to sanctify God's people. Think about your own story. How did you come to faith in Christ? How did you hear the gospel? I reckon that most of us were saved through a spirit-empowered witness. Whether it was a parent or a spouse or a friend or a co-worker or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a radio preacher, most of us came to faith through the spirit-empowered through spirit-empowered witnesses. And I say most of us because it's possible, you know, there's some of you may have a story and, you know, just getting alone with the Bible by yourself and the Spirit work through that. Praise God. But most of us come to faith through Spirit-empowered witnesses. Someone in, in love and no doubt in trembling, taking the Word of God and, and seeking to explain the gospel and, and calling us to repent and believe in the good news. Praise God for spirit-empowered witnesses. Because that's how the gospel spreads. And now as believers, we too are called to be witnesses. We have the Holy Spirit. So we don't do this in our own strength. We do it in dependence on the power of the Spirit. And like Paul Asked in Colossians 4, we pray for open doors for the gospel. And we pray that we would proclaim it clearly. And then we pray for the Spirit to give faith and life to our hearers. So, what's Peter said so far? In spite of their suffering, 
in spite of their present suffering that is causing grief and pain, he wants the believers that he's writing to to know they live in a blessed time because the Messiah has come. No longer is the Spirit pointing forward to Christ coming through the preaching of a few prophets. Instead, the Spirit is proclaiming that Christ has come through the words of many believers. And again, we are all equally blessed to live during this time, to live on this side of the cross. Rejoice, believer, that Christ has come. Christ has finished his work on the cross. Christ is risen and exalted at the Father's right hand. Christ is building his church through his spirit and through his word and his people. And so we get to rejoice in that and we get to even participate in that work. Praise God, what a blessing. What a blessing. By God's grace, we live in a blessed time. And then secondly and finally, notice, by God's grace, we experience a blessed salvation. Not only do we live in a blessed time, but we experience a blessed salvation. We see that right at the end of verse 12. I'll I'll read the whole verse for you, though. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. It's a short little phrase, but it's an amazing phrase to think about. Peter says that the angels, and I'm talking about not the fallen angels. I'm I'm focusing on the the unfallen angels, the ones in heaven. Angels long to look into the blessings of salvation. The angels are aware of God's plan of salvation, but they themselves have never and will never personally experience salvation. I mean, don't get me wrong, angels get to experience some amazing things, right? I mean, they live in the beauty of heaven. They get to worship God and do His bidding. They get to, they've been getting to for, for uh, centuries now, witness his, God's unfolding plan throughout history of saving His people through Christ, right? They saw Adam fall. They, they witnessed God's different promises that I went through earlier. And they, they themselves got to see and even announce the coming of Christ. They saw the Son of God leave heaven, come to earth, take on a human nature in order to live a sinless life and then die as a ransom for many. The angels witnessed the resurrection and ascension of Christ and the sending of the Spirit. And they're watching Christ build His church. And Luke 15, 10 says that they, the angels in heaven rejoice whenever a sinner on earth repents. So the angels know about salvation. They rejoice and celebrate when a sinner is saved. But they themselves will never know what it feels like to be saved. Angels will never experience salvation. The ones who who fell with Satan are going to be judged. The ones who didn't don't need to be saved. They're angels. They're, They're in heaven with God. Think about that. Angels will never know what it's like to be forgiven of sin. Angels will never know what it's like to be reconciled to God, to be adopted into his family. 
Unlike the angels, we know what it was like before Christ came into our lives. We know what it was like to be separated from God and to be without hope. We know what it was like to be in bondage to sin and to be deceived by the evil philosophies of this fallen world. We know what it was like to be on that broad path that leads to destruction. But angels were never there, right? They were never on that path. They'll never experience the the joy, the wonder, the relief, the gratitude of being saved from eternal punishment and given eternal blessings of salvation. Angels worship God, (laughs) no doubt. But they'll never be able to sing songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Angels will never be able to sing, Your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Angels can't sing that. One day, we'll, when Christ returns and we... We're raised and glorified. We'll we'll join the angels in praising God. But there will be, and in in many ways there already is, there's going to be another layer of joyful worship that we can give to the Lord that angels can't because we have been personally rescued by God's love and grace. Again, angels know about it, right? And they rejoice. But how much sweeter is the light for those who have been in darkness? How much more is freedom cherished by those who have been enslaved? Oh, we are blessed to enjoy salvation. To have experienced God's grace in saving us through Christ. And of course, as I say that, I'm speaking to believers But I'm aware that there likely are people listening to me now who have not experienced God's salvation. So at this moment, you too can't identify with those songs that we sing that speak about being saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. But the good news is, by God's grace, may that change for you today. May today be the day that you can sing those songs. May today be the day that you are saved through faith in Christ. That you know God's forgiveness. The good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ goes forth today. Christ has come. He has defeated sin and death. He has purchased salvation for all who believe. And so there is eternal salvation for all who turn from their sins and by faith embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the promise of the gospel. Jesus said, all who come to me I will never cast away. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is loving. God is gracious. God is merciful. He delights to save sinners. And so I I pray that if you don't know Christ, that you will cry out to God today. 
that today will be the day you believe on the name of Jesus Christ, that you too today would know the joy of salvation through Christ. If I can be any help with you about that, please, please see me after the service. So, just to conclude our time today, Peter's readers, the first century believers, and us today in the 21st century, we are blessed to live during a time when the promised Messiah has been revealed, and we're blessed to enjoy a salvation that angels marvel over but will never experience. Praise God for those blessings. May that encourage you today as you go through trials. May you know that you are truly blessed. I know that we are grieved, and many of us today are grieved by trials and deal with painful suffering. But by God's grace, we've been saved through Christ. We've been shown the love and grace of God. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We've been redeemed by the Son of God. We've been indwelt by the Spirit of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. We have the living and abiding Word of God. We are members of the church of God. We get to know and serve the living God and we daily experience new mercies from God. We've been given precious promises from God. We've been made heirs of God, which means one day we will forever be in the glorious presence of God. We are blessed. We are blessed indeed. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your grace. We praise you for your your gracious promises and how you keep those promises. We praise you for your plan of salvation that, that you have been faithfully carrying out through your people and, of course, through your spirit and through your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you that the gospel goes forth even now and that you are continuing to build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Encourage the downtrodden today. Remind us all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And may you continue to show the power of your grace by drawing people to yourself today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing a...